0: and with the holy spirit this is the word of the lord thank you thanks maggie thanks cath well good morning everyone welcome uh welcome to church um it's great to see uh everyone filling out from the front Take a moment. Um, I'm going to pray. So take a moment just to breathe deeply. Lord, speak to us. We need you. In our busyness, in our brokenness, in our limitedness, we need you. Wherever we are on our journeys, we need you, Lord. Amen. So, uh Thank you for that reading. It was a marathon, well read. That was fantastic. Thanks, Maggie. Uh, Thank you, musicians, for just wonderful music. Joel is in hospital. I think you might have been told that. I'm not sure. So he's less well than he normally is. So you could just pray for him. That would be great. Uh, The question on on my mind as I read this passage, and I'm not sure if it's a question on your mind, but let me put it on your mind, is what do we need to do as a church... And what do we need to do individually to be a community that actually makes a positive impact in the world? Okay, let me rephrase that. What, do we, what, what sort of people do we need to be individually, and what sort of a community do we need to be to actually be a group of people who make a positive impact in the world? Because, friends, let me tell you this. I'm not sure where you are spiritually. I know where some of you are, but not, not everyone by any means. Let me tell you this, Christianity at its heart is not a religion about you and I just getting blessed by God so that we can live wonderful lives as self-actualized, spiritually turned on 21st century consumers. It's actually not that. Christianity is fundamentally not about, well, you know, all the rest of my life is going well, but I've got this little gap. And if I ask Jesus to fill that little gap, then, man, my life's going to be awesome. And then the rest of my life is getting more and more awesomeness from God into me. That, that is a half-truth, but it's a dangerous half-truth. Let me tell you what Christianity is. The heart of the God's heart, the heart of the gospel and God's plan for you is to bless us and fill us with his awesomeness, for sure. There is a gap in your life. There is a gap in my life, and only Jesus can fill that, for sure but it doesn't stop there. That's only half the story. The story of Christianity is that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. God's plan is to pour his love into our lives because loved people love people. God's plan is to bless us because blessed people bless people. God's plan is to free us from captivity to selfishness and pride and injustice and suffering and death because freed people free people. God wants to use you and me, and he wants to use us to change the world. Now, that may all sound a little exhausting, (laughs) because <laughs> you're like ah, oh, i'm just struggling to get through this text gives us some indications for how god has what how god is going to use us to be a people who change the world because that's what he did here in acts 13 this church and what happened here is that this, this, this story is the hinge point of the whole of the story of Christianity because up until this point, Christianity has been largely a Jewish religion. And here, uh, the whole focus of the book and the story and the arc of history moves out beyond the confines of Israel to the Gentiles. And this is a, this is a chapter of world-changing significance. You and I are here this morning because of the decisions... That were made in Acts 13. So let's have a look and think about what it means. And uh, I'm going to make at least three points. The second point has four sub-points, but you know it's, it's largely three. So let's have a think. The first thing we see: a community that is going to be a blessing to the world is going to be an inclusive community. It's going to be an inclusive community. I don't know if you saw this, right? Um, Who are the leaders of this little church in Antioch? Well, they are Barnabas, Simeon called Niger. He's a a black person from North Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, also probably from North Africa. Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, a rich, high-profile, high-status Roman background believer. And here is Saul a rabbi, a Pharisee, who had had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Antioch was a diverse community, and the leadership of the church reflected that diversity. So the first thing we've got to say is, our capacity to be a blessing to the world is dependent on our capacity to be radically inclusive of the people in that world. And this is important because I'm not sure if you have ever encountered this um, myth or this perception. But in our in our culture, it's common to think of Christianity as a, a European religion. And you think that's like a because that's that's how it's come to us. Christianity is about cathedrals and you know white European colonial patriarchy. Now, it's not true. It's not true. Christianity is the most radically inclusive religion in the world. And throughout history, what God has done is he's birthed communities in the world that are more inclusive than any other community that's ever existed. I'll give you an example. Uh, in the city of Rome, when, this, when, when Acts was happening, the city of Rome was a, a, a city that is, had a population density as high as Hong Kong today, higher than Manhattan and uh, ethnic groups and tribes from around the Roman Empire had come into Rome and they were living crammed up against each other. Okay? And uh, what happened was those different tribal groups kept fighting. There was incessant inter tribal rivalry throughout the Roman Empire. So, do you know what the Romans did to keep the peace in Rome? Well, it's what you and I do when our toddlers are squabbling, they kept them apart. So you had enclaves within the city clearly defined for each little ethnic group as a way of keeping the peace. Along comes Christianity and says, we're going to build a community that anyone can come and be part of. And not just be part of, but a community where anyone who wants to can call on the name of Jesus, can be baptized, can join the community, and can be treated as a brother or sister in that community, Jew or Gentile. The most profound divide That for a thousand years had separated people. Now in Christ we find uh, broken down, included. That's 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 unique in the history of ideas. Now I'm going to move a little bit into political science and political theology, but um, I think you could argue our vision of a multi-ethnic, multicultural. Inclusive nation state draws at least some of its vision and power from the gospel and from stories like Acts. That you know what? Your ethnicity doesn't define your status or your standing before God, but God wants to bring everyone in. Your socioeconomic status doesn't determine whether you can belong. Right? So, um, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but I was working on a sermon this week and I felt so strongly about it that I made a video. And if you're friends on Facebook with me, you've probably seen this video. If not, bear with me. I thought, this really captures church, right? And it's important to realize that the church is not just for the old or the young. It's not just for the uh, people who are socially acceptable, who know how to dress. And to fit in in narrowly prescribed ways. But the church is a place where everyone can belong. It's hard to do, though, isn't it? If, feel free if, if tutu wearing is your thing, we're the church for you. Oh, it's hard, though, hey? That's hard. Some years ago I was talking, I was uh, speaking at a conference in New Zealand and I met a guy who was uh, leading a large church there who was a white Zimbabwean, a wonderful, wonderful Christian leader. And uh, he told me the story of how uh, in the 90s, He and a friend of his, who is a a Shona, a black African Shona pastor, and himself, had deliberately tried in this country that had been torn apart by tribalism and still is, even within the African communities. They had said, they tried, we're going to live out this vision. So they, they planted a church with both of them as co pastors white Zimbabwean, black Shona speaking pastor. And they worked at it. And they worked at it. And guess what happened? Well, when the white guy was preaching, all the white people loved it. And the Shona people put up with it. And when the Shona guy was preaching, the white people stayed away. Because he just talked for too long. And his culture was so different in his way of thinking. And it was so hard. And they worked and they worked and they worked. It was just so hard. But it was worth it. They tried. They tried. I, uh, I think that's a challenge for us, right? We've got to work. We've got to say, you know what, Lord? Anyone, who c- anyone can find a place here. Now, you were very courageous, or at least your nominators were. You, you have some inclusion and diversity. You have a, you know, a crazy Jewish South African as your rector, right? So that's, that's a little out there, right there. But you know what? That's just the start. The world has come to Sydney. Now, they haven't yet come to Roselle and Balmain, um, 11% of our population is born in the United Kingdom. Uh, we're still very Anglo, but but at one level it's not about what we see in the first instance, it's about our hearts. Are we are we willing to actually open up our hearts to difference and otherness? That's a challenge, eh? And cuz we we laugh, lo- it's just hard. Like I'd love I'd love to say this is easy, but it's not. It's really really hard but that's the, there's a power in this because we worship a God who reconciles people, who brings together the difference, who loves everybody, who's made everybody wonderfully different. And, and so, so you know what? The power to be a blessing to the city of Sydney is going to flow from the work that God does in our hearts to open our hearts and our lives to people who are different, who are other, and to welcome them into our church. Yeah. So there we go. That's the first point. Uh, our capacity to be a blessing is going to come from being inclusive. Uh, The second thing that's going to make us individually and people who are able to be a blessing to the world is that we are going to be uh, Holy Spirit-led. Now, uh, when you read the book of Acts, if you do, you read the story of the early church, the one thing you cannot miss is, is that the Holy Spirit is front and center in this book. The Holy Spirit is animating, empowering, driving, and directing the church. So if we want to be a people individually and together who can be a blessing to the world, friends, we've got to do it in step with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says we're to, we're to keep in step with the Spirit in the book of Galatians. Now, um, where do we see this? Look at this. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul uh, for the work that, which, to which I have called them. Uh, so they then send them off, and then the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Okay, So. okay couple of questions there that you may have firstly who or what the heck is the holy spirit good question Uh, so we believe as as christians the holy spirit is the powerful personal presence of god let me say that again the powerful personal presence of god who is accessible to ordinary people like you and i The great blessing of Christianity is that we don't have to work our way up to God. Like if you become good and holy and Anglican and moral and middle class, you can eventually connect with the divine. The great promise of Christianity is that the divine comes to us and takes up residence, makes his home inside you and inside me and inside us, ordinary, broken, fallible people. And the way the divine resides in us is in the person of the Holy Spirit, the powerful personal presence of God himself. You can't, you can't live the Christian life without the work of the Holy Spirit. All right. Two groups of people may be here. Actually, there's probably three in the room. Let me speak to each of you. One, there may be those of you who are still just checking out christianity and this whole holy spirit stuff is something you need a whole lot more information about so that is awesome keep coming we run a course here called alpha that has a whole day of teaching focused on the holy spirit uh you you, and and if you're checking out christianity you're not sure let me tell you even today don't leave here before before saying holy spirit just just show me who you are come into my life it's the first group of people as a second group, some of you, and, I, and I, this is not meant to be disparaging at all, but I think it's, in my experience here, it's true. Some of you have been Anglicans, Sydney Anglicans, evangelicals, Christians for a long time, but in your heart of hearts, you're just a little bit maybe scared of the work of the Holy Spirit. A little bit skeptical. A little bit hurt, maybe. You've gone, oh, these crazy things that happen that divide churches, and I don't want any of that. And maybe, maybe, you know, you're like that. And I just want to say to you, if if you're trying to follow Jesus without the ongoing daily infilling of the Holy Spirit and the sense of the power and the presence of the loving God in your life, if the Holy Spirit isn't filling you moment by moment and day by day, you're kind of, you're like someone, you're like a, Boxer going into fight with one arm tied behind your back, or actually two arms tied behind your back. You're just you're left powerless. You're left missing the key ingredient that's going to make your life success and fill your Christian life with joy and energy. So you know, if 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 your tradition has been, nah, not a lot about the Holy Spirit. A little scared, a little nervous. Seen lots of crazy stuff. I'll just read the Bible. Thank you very much. And you know, I say, no, no. Let's let's not be scared. Let's ask God to bring fresh renewal and revival in our hearts. Even if we've been out it 30 years, man, it's never too late for more of God's powerful personal presence. And then third of you, some of you are sitting here, and uh, for you, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is alive and vital and well, and you can't understand why other people just don't get it. Uh, two words for you, humility. Don't, don't think you're better spiritually than someone because God has poured his Holy Spirit out and you live in that spirit and it's real for you. Be humble. God, every one of us is on a journey and, and it's not for you to look and disparage someone else's journey. God deals with each of us gently, brings us along at just the speed that he wants us to bring along. So don't ever, don't ever become spiritually proud because of a particular encounter or experience or tradition you've come from. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, oh my goodness, pray and long for more and more people to have that full experience of the Holy Spirit in our church. Don't give up praying. Do it humbly, but, but prayerfully and expectantly and excitedly. Okay, so that's it. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads and guides, and, and that is absolutely critical in the life of the church. Of course, the question then is, how does the Holy Spirit do this? I hear you asking. Uh, particularly for us, like as a church, we're saying, okay, I You're all sitting there in your seat saying, Mark, you have convinced me that our church needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. I need more. Can I hear? Are you all thinking that? Yeah, I I see those heads nodding. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Well, look at this, right? What's the context within which the Holy Spirit guided the church and will guide us and will guide you? Well, they were worshiping Jesus Not, you know, and they were fasting and they prayed. So, if we want to be people who change the world for good and we want to draw on the personal, powerful presence of God to animate and empower that, here's what we need to do. We need to worship the Lord. We need to worship Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we gather like this. Now, in this text here, we don't know exactly who was there, but it's pretty clear it's not just the leadership. Uh, the, The community is gathered to worship as we are doing now. And we're worshiping Jesus as they were worshiping Jesus. And that's really, really, really important to have the discipline of public worship together. Sometimes people go, well, I can just be a Christian by myself. Well, you can't. You know that. You're here. You know that. Augustine was the one who said, if you don't have the church as your mother, you can't have God as your father. That there is, Christianity is absolutely a corporate and community thing. And we gather to worship because in this act of worshiping, we do a whole bunch of things. One of which is, we, we reorient our loves and our desires, don't we? because we come here with a bunch of our peers and we sing to God and we hear from God and we say to God, God, we love you. We adore you. We value you more than life itself. Okay, that sounds terribly pious. Let me get really specific. We come to worship and we say, God, we love you more than our superannuation." God, we love you more than our marriages and our kids and our grandkids. They're all good. Super's good. Kids are good. But we love Jesus more than those things. We come together and we worship God and we say, Jesus, you are our greatest treasure. You are our greatest treasure. We love you more than personal peace and affluence. We love you more than well-being and wellness. We love you more than social acceptance. We love you more than our own discretionary time. Oh. We love you more than we love our own capacity to choose what we'll do with our lives. I mean, that's huge, right? Like, oh. Have we, It's hard to love Jesus, isn't it? I don't know, well, maybe you don't find it hard. I find it hard to love Jesus like that, to, to reorient my desires. So I need to gather in worship. I need to gather with you. We need to gather together because when our, it's only when our hearts love Jesus more than these other things that we're in a place, have a stance that the Holy Spirit can start to actually guide us. Okay, so you do this. Now what are you going to do with your life, Right? See how it works? And they're fasting. They're fasting. Now, let's have a little bit of a think about fasting. It's a spiritual discipline and a practice that is just assumed in the Bible, has been assumed as a normal practice of the Christian life for 2,000 years, but is largely ignored in the Western church. And my hunch is that's why we muddle around ineffective, lacking spiritual power, unguided and undirected. So uh, I think that's what's going on. Now, immediately we talk about the discipline of fasting. Um, It's easy to think to ourselves, oh, but hang on, Mark, we're saved by grace. I don't need these disciplines. I don't need to have to do this. I'm free. Yeah, that's true. It's true at one level, but we're making a false distinction. Grace, salvation by grace, is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to discipline. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to to the thinking that says, if I fast, then God owes me something. Grace is not opposed to the work of fasting so that you know what happens when you fast you allow yourself to f- get in touch with the deep spiritual and existential reality that what you are actually really hungry for is god it's not food it's not money it's not sex it's not power it's god himself that's that's how that look that is our deepest hunger and the problem with the, our passion and our piety and our experience of the personal presence of the Spirit is we don't actually feel that hunger because any time I feel any hunger in the world, what do I do? I, I meet it. I satiate it. I have any physical hunger. I'm, I'm hungry, so I start eating. And we, we don't allow ourselves to, to be drawn to God in dependence. Uh, fasting's hard, though, isn't it? So I have another hypothesis about why fasting is hard. I think it's to do with the abundance of food, a cultural drive that says if you have any hunger, you should meet it. And thirdly, it has to do with our high-carb, high-sugar diet. Basically, if, uh, throughout human history, we, we didn't eat very much, and uh, we certainly didn't eat vast quantities of processed carbohydrates, uh, and we didn't. We weren't therefore on this massive roller coaster of insulin uh, response. Which means you live off the, the circulating uh, glucose in your blood. When your blood sugar drops after 45 minutes or an hour and a half, you start to feel hungry. Your body is sending signals to your brain, going, "I got to eat! I got to eat! I got to eat!" Because what the insulin has done is actually uh, closed off your uh, the, the physiological mechanism that makes it easy to mobilize stored fat from your fat cells as energy in your body. And so you've locked up the fat. Your body plummets. The blood sugar plummets, and you're hungry. You're hungry, and you're hungry, and you've got to eat. So actually, our diet and our culture has made it hard to fast. Now, here's an aside. Uh, When I've spoken on this in the past, uh, this has been the most controversial thing I've said, Uh, and I and I hope this diet advice. You know, you need to see your own doctor. You need to figure this out. It just seems to me, from my reading, that this is part of what makes fasting hard, because I think it's much harder for us in our generation than in previous generations, and I don't want you to feel bad about it. But we've got to address it. So, our, our small group had this long discussion on Thursday night, and we're all experimenting with fasting this week in, in little ways to see what it's like. But I'm going to suggest this, and you can give me some feedback on this if you want. I'm thinking, as a church, uh, in February, we're going to fast and pray and worship for a month. Now, it's in 28 days, so it's a short month. It's only a 28 day fast. We'll be, we'll be right. Now, I'm actually, you don't have to fast for the entire 28 days. Um, but what I'm, what I'm going to suggest is this, that we start off next year, and we've got a few months to prepare for this, saying to God, we're, we're not going to meet in our small groups. We're going to meet on a Wednesday night. We'll fast, I'm going to suggest, from Tuesday night to Wednesday night, break our fast, and then as a church family across three congregations, gather uh, for, for, the, for the Wednesdays through February for evenings of worship and prayer. We fast corporately, then we gather to worship, and we just pray. We say, Lord, use us. Make ourselves available. And we draw together in that. So that's an idea. Uh, I think it's a good one. It might be a lousy one, but um, I think we should give it a crack. Uh, Let's see as we draw closer to February. But fast, friends. Figure out ways to do it. Start experimenting. Build it in to the rhythm of your spiritual life and your spiritual disciplines take medical advice if you if that is necessary like please like go speak to your doctor and say to your doctor my rector said we're doing a, I have to do a 28 day fast next year what do you think no i'm not saying that i'm you know all right so um, fast and pray and pray pray continually now i think this is important because being led by the Holy Spirit seems like an incredibly important thing, a resource to take advantage of, right? Like, um, if Christianity is true, there is an all-knowing God. Like, God knows everything about me, everything about the world. He knows the beginning from the end, and he only wants what's best for me. And then he says to me, if you ask, if you, if you actually lean into me, I'll show you how to live okay? Why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't that be the most important conversation I have with God every day? Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, empower me. Why wouldn't that be the most important conversation we have with God as a church? Because, I mean, how much, like honest to goodness, how much do you really know about the world to inform your (laughs) decision-making? I don't know. I mean, I don't even, I don't know my own heart, You don't know your own heart. You don't know. In all the myriad decisions we have to make, how do you know what's going to be best for you and best for the world? You don't. You you struggle. I struggle to know what's best for me today, let alone what will be best for future Mark in 10 years' time. How do I know? I have an illusion of confidence and knowledge. And God says, Mark, come be filled with my spirit. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll guide you. I'll lead you. I'll send you. I think the reason I struggle with that is the third thing: is to be a church that actually changes the world. We need to be obedient to what God shows us. (laughs) Like that's when you read the story. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. And it's important to notice they did this. With very limited information and no guarantee of success. Right? Look at the instructions. Um, set them apart, set me and Barnabas, set f- apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. That's it. No, no itinerary, no end date, just follow, just go. A bit like when Abraham was called back in Genesis 12. No great details, just go. When God directs us, what he wants is our trusting obedience to take the next step. He's not typically going to show us the end result. He just, he's going to show us enough to go the next step, and the next step, and the next step, and that's it. And then I obey, and I do this, and I obey, and I do that, and I obey, and I do this, and that's the Christian life. Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote the message... 35 books, Amazing Christian Leader, passed away this week at age 85. And Eugene Peterson described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. That's, I mean, if I'm brutally honest, the reason I don't like the leading of the Holy Spirit is because I don't actually want to obey, I want to be in charge. And if I'm going to obey, I want some assurance that the outcome is going to be good. How did this work for the apostles? Well, there was a very mixed response to their ministry. You read this here. Some of them believed and they were very excited. But then the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women and the leading men. They stirred up persecution and expelled them from the region. Okay, there's no, uh, there's no guarantee if you follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit guides you, that you will have a life of uninterrupted comfort and success. It's Friends, it's just not going to happen. Now, in the church, some people will try and encourage you to follow Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit and to sign up to their program with promises of success. And if you follow Jesus, everything, you're going to live in victory, and it's going to be amazing, it's going to be awesome. Say, no, 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 no. It might be, but it might be awful. In fact chances are the promise of God says if you want to live a godly life you'll suffer it's gonna be hard no guarantees of success but still faithful obedience and look at the result even though they've just experienced enormous failure they're driven out of their area what happens the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit because the joy that comes from obedience to God is not dependent on our circumstances I feel like I need to get an amen for that. The joy that comes from our obedience to God is not dependent on our circumstances. That's so important. That's so important. You go, no, Lord, it's going to be hard. Sometimes people will, if you're a Christian today, or if you've come as someone who's not so sure and you sign up for Jesus today, let me tell you this. Sometimes people are going to go, I love the fact that you're a Christian. It's fantastic what great choices you're making and tell me all about it, right? That's going to happen one in a hundred times. And other times people are just going to think you're odd. And then sometimes they're going to, you know, say to you what my father said to me when I became a Christian. He says, oh, my stupid born-again mother effing son. There's no guarantees of, like, it's all going to be great, but it is because you'll be full of joy because you're obeying the Holy Spirit. You're being drawn deeper into God and you're going to be a person and we are going to be a church who as we walk together in this way, God is going to use to be a blessing to the city of Sydney and to the world because that's his plan, that's his heart. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're loved to love. We're served to serve. We're saved to save We're freed to free. That's why we're here. And this is how we do it. And it's not easy, but it's good. Let's pray together. Our Lord and God, uh, thank you for the personal, powerful presence of your Holy Spirit. And I ask you to fill us, to, to make yourself real to us today. Wherever we are on our journey, nudge us in the direction of greater obedience to you. Help us as a church to to remain in a stance and an attitude of humble prayer and worship, fasting, obedient, trusting you, led by you, guided by you. And may the months and years ahead of us be years full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in your great name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Uh, it's time now for our final song, and it's uh, the song is "What a Beautiful Name." and